We have been, for a while, looking at the ministry of Christ, in particular, the miracles of Christ. And uh, we're going to pick it up next year. This will be the last message on the miracles, and then we'll jump into some Christmas and New Year's stuff. And then and back in January, we'll pick up the miracles again. Um, but this is kind of, I think, a good ending place with the miracle this morning. Um, we have been talking about the life of Christ, and we're into the last year of his life um, in this series. Jesus has started to make a transition now where he's starting to face more and more persecution. Within a year of this event, he's going to be hung on a cross. Um, Jesus has come off of a very difficult period of ministry. John the Baptist has died. Jesus has told his disciples that they're going to go out and do what he has done, and so they're learning how to um, take care of, of healing and casting out demons and, 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 and taking care of sick people and doing all of those things. Um, in addition to that, um, Jesus has fed the 5,000 and needed some time apart, so he goes on the hillside, and then the disciples get in a boat, and, and Jesus comes to them walking on the water. We talked about that last week. And then in, in Matthew chapter uh, 15, um, what you see is in the next segment, the Pharisees and the, the, the leaders, the spiritual Jewish leaders, attack Jesus. And they look at him and they say, you know, look, you're, 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 you're hanging with the wrong people. Um, you're, we, actually, they go so far as to think, we, we, we think you're demon-possessed. And they reject him outright. And Jesus does something that for the first time in his life he does that he has never done in the Gospels up until this point, and will never do after this. And Jesus, for the first time, leaves Israel. If you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, you can put Galilee is up here, um, Jerusalem, Bethlehem's down here, the Jordan River's down here. You can take that triangle, and just about everything in the life of Jesus falls into that triangle, with one exception. And that's the story we're going to look at this morning. It actually occurs way away from Israel, um, in a pagan area, in a pagan land where he's not dealing with Jewish people. And so it's a very unusual miracle. That's a very, very significant miracle. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. The, the religious people in um, the Galilee area have rejected him. They looked at him basically and said, we think you're demon-possessed. And so that's where we pick up the story this morning. Um, Matthew... Uh, chapter uh, 14 or 15, here it goes. It says, leaving that place, talking about where he had argued with those guys, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon, modern day, is, is Lebanon and Syria. Is the modern day. So Jesus takes and leaves that whole area of Galilee now, goes all the way over to this, and it is a Canaanite place. And notice what he says. And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him. Now, let's just stop right here, because we need to understand this. In this culture, now I'm not talking about this is right, I'm talking about this culture. You've got to understand the culture of the time. Um, first of all, it, notice what it says. It says she was a Canaanite. The Canaanites were the people who, they worshipped Canaan, uh, they worshipped Baal, they were predominantly Baal worshipers. When the children of Israel came into the promised land, God said, get rid of them all, kill them all. 
They didn't. They allowed them to stay. And so often you find Israel pursuing after the Canaanite gods because they weren't, had they been obedient to God, it wouldn't have been an issue. But they were disobedient. They continually fight that. God had over and over and over told them to drive them out of the land. Get rid of them. Don't let them stay there. But the children of Israel let them, and it cost them. So the children of Israel were not obedient there. And so what happens is there became animosity between the Canaanite gods and the Jewish god. And so they were at complete odds with each other. And so in this area of Lebanon and Syria, modern-day Lebanon and Syria, they were Canaanite worshipers. So they were Baal worshipers. So that's number one against her. So we've got a big, huge religious issue right off the bat. Notice what else. What's the next word? She's a woman. Now that's a bad deal. Not, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's a bad deal today. I'm saying in that culture, it was a bad deal. Why? Because there were certain people that did not get respect. Women, children, um, servants or slaves. Uh, if you were Roman, then anybody other than Rome... In other words, you had to be a Roman citizen to have any stature at all, um, to have any value at all. In that culture, to be a woman was not something that was valued. That's why, by the way, you need to understand, Christianity dramatically changed that. When Paul writes, in Christ there is neither male nor female, that's revolutionary. Because he was giving women equal status with men. And in that culture, that was unheard of. So this woman, Canaanite woman, Gentile woman, comes to Jesus. So there's no reason at all Jesus should pay any attention to her. And notice what she says. Lord. She, she, from that vicinity, came to him, cries out, Lord. First thing that she says is she's acknowledging him as, as, as a ruler, as a master. She says, Lord. And then what does she say? Son of David. She's acknowledging his Jewishness. He's saying, I understand, you're the son of David. If you go through verses 1 through 20, even the Jews didn't get that. Now here's this pagan woman, Canaanite woman, who has a better theology than the people who were supposedly memorized the Old Testament. And she comes to him and says, Lord... Have mercy on, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And then notice what he says. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. If she didn't have enough not going for her, then to look at her and go, oh, by the way, my kid's demon-possessed. I mean, it's like, strike three, you're out. But this is a mom who wants her kid fixed. And she's brokenhearted over the fact that her daughter, again, she's a Canaanite woman, and in all probability she had practiced and been involved in the whole demon thing with the Canaanite gods and all of that. And as a result of that, her daughter ends up demon-possessed. She, she goes to their gods to get her fixed, and that doesn't work. She abandons all that. She now realizes that Jesus is going to be the answer. She comes to him and she says, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Help me now that gets the story gets very tricky that's what it says jesus didn't answer her word well a few times in the bible it looks like jesus ignored her 
Now, I don't think Jesus ignored her. I'll show you that in a minute. But it appears that Jesus just blows her off. Jesus doesn't pay any attention to what she's saying. Now, the disciples have a solution. Notice what the disciples say. The disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying after us. The disciples' solution is get rid of her. Tell her to go away, push her away. Let's, let's, let's like pay the cabbie to take her away. Let's get her out of here. We don't need this. We, it's been a rough couple of days. We've had an exhausting kind of thing. We've left the country to get away. We don't want to go. We don't, we don't need her crying after us. Get rid of her. That's their solution. Now, it even gets more complicated because notice what Jesus says. He answered. I think Jesus is answering to her because she's the one who responds. Okay? Now, when you first read this, it looks like Jesus is being really cruel here. But I'll, I think I'll explain. I think I can help you understand it. He answered, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. I think Jesus now looks at her and says, look, again, she has, now again, back it up. She's come to him and she says, Lord, Lord, son of David, help me. Jesus doesn't respond. The disciples go send her away. And then Jesus says, I am come, I have sent only the lost sheep of Israel. She looks at him, he looks at her and he says, look, you've acknowledged me as a son of David. Well, David was a shepherd. And I'm a son of David and I'm concerned about the sheep. And the sheep of Israel in particular. Those are the people I've come to reach. He says, my job, my responsibility is to take care of the sheep of Israel. And you know what? You're a Canaanite woman. You ain't part of that. My responsibility is to the people, as crazy as it sounds, my responsibility is to the people who just rejected me. And notice what happens. The woman came and knelt before him. Literally, the word is prostrate. She literally falls at his feet and says, Lord, help me. She ain't given up. Now, I think she is falling at the feet of Jesus, and she's saying, God, please help me. Lord, please help me. You've got to help me. And then notice what Jesus says next. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, this is Jesus, and it sounds like he's being really cruel, okay? Let me help you out a little bit here. Um, I read a couple of Jewish commentators who gave an interesting spin on this. They said that in their, in, and at the time that this was written, it looks like it's a slam, but it's really not a slam. It's a tongue-in-cheek kind of greeting that they would, they would often use. Um, I would say it this way. Here's our modern-day analogy. If they're right, I would say it this way. Um, many of you know that we have a... We have one of Jimmy's friends from college is Scruff. Scruff come, was born and down uh, the streets of New York. I mean, that's where Scruff grew up. And he went to college, and Jimmy met him, and we've kind of adopted Scruff. And when you meet Scruff and when you see Scruff, Scruff is black. It's very apparent. Scruff is black, okay? And we have adopted him. He calls Gene Mama. He calls me Dad. Um, we have kind of adopted Scruff as kind of one of our kids. Anytime Scruff's in here, he knows he's got a place to stay, he's got food, he's got whatever. Um, so anyway, so if you were to meet Jimmy and Scruff together, okay, what they will introduce themselves as is, this is my brother from another mother, okay? 
Um, now, we all know what that means, right? In some ways, though, that could be taken as a slam. You know, 2,000 years from now, if you read that, you look at it and go, oh, that's, that's cruel. Because we don't understand it. But if you understand the idiom that, you know, when he goes, this is my brother from another, that's really a complimentary kind of thing, okay? And some Jewish commentators think that's what Jesus is doing here. I don't know. I do know this. I do know it's very, this is a very unusual statement from Jesus, and here's why. The word dogs, there are two Greek words for the word dogs. One is the scruffy kind of mangy dogs that run wild, okay? The other is a household pet. The word that Jesus uses here is the household pet dog. The word that the Jews typically said when they referred to Gentiles as dogs was the scruffy, wild, crazy dog out in the wild. And so what Jesus says is, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Jesus says, look, I, I can't take bread that was designed for the children of Israel. And you've often heard me say in the Bible, there's like layers below layers below layers. Okay. For those of you who have been a Christian for a long time, here's, here's one to have a lot of fun with. Okay. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Refers to himself as the bread of life is now looking at him and saying, it's not right for me to take the bread that was designed for the children and give it to the household pet. And so Jesus is saying, look, I have come for the Jewish people to understand and to be able to offer salvation to them. That's my, that was my job. That's what I was called to do. But notice what she says. Let me tell you something. This, this gal, she was a brilliant theologian. She was brilliant. And she says, yes, it is, Lord. She doesn't even argue with that. She doesn't argue about, yeah, but you ought to care about me. Yeah, but I'm really not a dog. Yeah, but she doesn't argue any of that. She says, okay, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from the fall from the master's table. She says, I get what you're saying. And I get that you're here about the Jewish people. I get that. But you know what? I'm sitting here right now. I'm bowed before you right now. I'll take the leftovers. And by the way, I personally think she's still on her knees before God. I think she is looking up. Like those of you, some of you have dogs inside the house. Okay. We don't. We have, we don't. If your dog visits our house, he's more than welcome, she's more than welcome, outside. So Jimmy and Aaron's dog, Rudy, is an, is an indoor dog until he visits our home. Josh's and Alex's dog, um, Tweedledee and Tweedledum is what I call them, but... Um, um, What's their names? Yeah, Zeldin and Louie, they get inside dogs at night. They're outside dogs when they come to our house. We've had an inside dog. I know how the inside dog thing works. 
And I know that when you have an inside dog and you're sitting at the table and the dog's going, you do this, okay? You purposely drop food. When I'm over to Doug and Terry's, they have an inside dog, and that dog and I are buddies, and he knows. He's getting ice cubes from me and pretzels. He knows that. And I drop probably eight pretzels an evening and five or six ice cubes. Um, but we're buds, so it's a good thing. So he, this is what Jesus is saying. He's looking at me going, look, even, uh, she says, look, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She said, look, Jesus, I don't want a lot from you. I'll take the leftovers. I'll take the scraps. You don't need to, like, do some great thing for me. I'll take whatever's left over because you know what, Jesus? Here's what I know about you. This is what she's saying. I know that your scraps, your leftovers, are enough to heal my daughter. I don't need you to do some big fancy thing. I don't need you to come and lay hands on her. I don't need you to pray over her. I I know that if you just give me a little bitty scrap, she won't be demon-possessed anymore. I know that. I'll take the scraps. And Jesus says something about her that he does not say about anybody else to my knowledge. Notice what he says in the next phrase, the next passage. Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Often you will hear Jesus say, oh, ye of little faith. The end of chapter 14, Peter's sinking in the water. He says, oh, ye of little faith. Where's your faith, Peter? He's now looking at a Canaanite woman with a demon-possessed child and says, Guys, this is what great faith looks like. Disciples, take note. This is what it's all about. This is what, this is what great faith looks like. A woman who's saying, give me the scraps. She gets it. You guys are still questioning whether or not you get it. But she's got it. She's got an incredible faith, guys. And notice what he goes on to say. He says, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed at that moment. I say that it appears that Jesus ignores her, but when you read this story, Jesus doesn't ignore her. You know who he ignores? The disciples who said, send her away. He never addresses them. He continually addresses this woman. And he says, this, this is great faith. Um, I think there's a couple of takeaways for us, a couple of lessons for us. Here's the first one. I think you see here what great faith looks like. We tend to think that great faith is some spectacular thing. Or, you know what this is? This is a woman who's persistent, who's humble, who comes before God and begs and doesn't give up. She doesn't demand anything from God. She just simply asks. And she continually asks, and she won't let go of this there are some of you you've been praying for something for a long time and you haven't seen it come to fruition or whatever else here's what i would say to you don't give up this woman is persistent this woman keeps at it this woman will not let go of this she has a daughter that she wants fixed and she continually says god help me save me lord i know you can and, and again, whether God does or doesn't, she continually prays and pleads with him to do that. And I think one of the things about great faith is that idea that we keep on plugging away. We keep on doing what we're supposed to do. We don't give up easily. 
and we do it humbly. She comes to him and just simply asks. She doesn't argue about, I'm not a dog, I deserve more. She doesn't go down any of those roads. She just simply says, no, 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 no. I get that, but all I want is the scraps. I'll take leftovers. I think there's another principle that you see here, um, and, and this is one that is a little bit deeper, but it's the idea that it's ironic to me that the Jews rejected Jesus but the Canaanite woman accepts him. You find rejection in people that should have accepted him. And you find acceptance in people that normally would have rejected him. It's, 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 it's flip-flopped. You would think the Jews would accept him. They rejected him. You would think she would reject him because he was Jewish. He's, she's the one who accepts him. Some of you in the holidays are going to be put in, 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 in close proximity to family members who reject what you say. You got a family, they ought to get it. No, they don't. They're going to reject it. And you know what? Here's, here's what I'd say. If you're a Christian for any length of time, you're going to experience rejection. Because you are preaching, you are teaching, you are sharing with somebody an exclusive message in an inclusive world. You're sharing with somebody a message that says, this is what the Bible says. It doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. This is what the Bible says, period. And we're not in a world that likes to hear that message. We're in a world that likes to hear, you can believe whatever you want, and it's okay. And, and I'm here to tell you, we don't do that in any other area of life. Why would we do it in the area of, re, of religion or the Bible? You know? There's not a one of you that's going to get, there's not a one of you that's going to stand on the corner out here and say, look, I believe you should be able to drive any way you want. And it's all okay. You want to drive on the left side of the road? Drive on the left side of the road. You want to drive slow? Drive slow. You want to drive fast? Drive fast. You want your three-year-old to drive? Let them drive. Why should we limit them? We should all be able to believe whatever we want to believe, and it's all okay when it comes to driving. There's Nobody would do that in their right mind. But we all of a sudden we come to the area of Bible and Christianity and religion, and we think, well, everybody can just believe whatever they want. It's okay. No, it's not. The Bible is very, very clear. Jesus didn't say, I am one of the many ways to God. Jesus said, I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one, no one, no one gets to the Father unless you come through me. Buddha ain't doing it. Church isn't doing it. Um, worshiping trees ain't doing it. It's only through Jesus Christ, period. And when you start to share that with family and what that really means, they will, some of them, reject you. You can't share that message in this world and be accepted by everybody. That's just the way it goes. But you know what you will also find? You will find that some of the people that you think should reject you might actually accept you in your message. That person in your family that you think will be the harshest to you might actually be the most receptive. See, the Canaanite woman should have been the most aggressive against Jesus. But she's actually the most receptive. A person that you think, you know, I, I mean, I like, you know, if people come to me, you know, they go, you know, um, I, I, I like challenges. I like challenges. I like being pushed. And I learned a long time ago when I was in college, I'll never forget, we were traveling with a group, and I was with a guy. His name was Eddie Flowers, and I'll never forget the story. Eddie Flowers, a pastor down south. 
Eddie Flowers moved into the community, and everybody said, you'll never reach that guy over there. He's a farmer. He wants nothing to do with God. He wants nothing to do with preachers. He thinks they're worthless. And da-da-da-da-da-da. And Eddie Flowers said, I took it on myself to say, you know what? By God's help, I'm going to reach him. And so Eddie Flowers said, here's what I did. He said, I went in one day, one afternoon, and I showed up at his place, and I started helping him shovel manure. I didn't say anything to him. I just helped him shovel manure. Helped him shovel all afternoon, got my truck, went home. He said, and periodically I would show up when I knew he had tough projects and stuff like that, and I'd just help him. He said, eventually, he said, this guy started talking to me. Then, the long story short, not only did he come to Christ, but he is now sitting on the board of his church. Because he said, I just decided that it was more about actions than it was words. He had heard a lot of words. He hadn't seen a lot of action. And he said, I'm just going to love him to death, and I'm going to humble myself and serve him any way I can serve him. And I, and I would just challenge you because some of you, there's going to be people in your in the holiday season that kind of sitting off the corner. They're the people to reach. They're the people to go talk to. You, you might find some acceptance there where normally you think there would be rejection. And I think it's an important reminder for each of us. And then I think, and that, I think the ultimate story in this story is just simply this. The faith was offered to everyone. See, Jesus is trying to teach the disciples that, you know what? My message is not just for the Jews. These people can receive it too. Because when Jesus leaves, the disciples are going to have to take that message to the Jewish world and the Gentile world. That's what Pentecost is all about in Acts chapter 2. And that's what the book of Acts is about, is how it makes that transition from the Jewish world to the Gentile world. By the way, we're the Gentile world. And I want to challenge you to understand that salvation, grace, love, acceptance, forgiveness is offered to everyone. Even a pagan Canaanite woman. And Jesus said, this guy's is great faith. Because all she did was come humbly and ask and trust me as her. She started it by saying, Lord. It's no different for us. And I'm here to tell you this morning, no matter what you have done, you need to understand one thing. God loves you, and God offers salvation to you. It doesn't matter what you have done. You go, you don't understand what I've done. There's no way. No, no, no. you don't understand. There is, and, and, and if you can't remember anything else, remember this. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you any less. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And the Bible is incredibly clear that God loves us. And God cares about us. And God offers salvation to everyone. And if you're not here this morning, you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, please please turn to Christ today. For me, a 16-year-old kid, I just simply said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. And as best as I know how, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me my sin. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior.
My life changed from that moment on. And God offers the same thing to each of us this day. And if you've never done that, please talk to some of us. It gives us peace in the midst of horrible, difficult times. It gives us comfort. It gives us. It takes away fear. It gives us an assurance of salvation, an assurance of a better life, an assurance of a life past this one. Jesus comes to this Canaanite woman, and the disciples say, send her away. And Jesus says, no, 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 guys. Hang around, and I'm going to show you what great faith looks like. I'm going to show you theology like you've never seen it before. I'm going to show you what it looks like when somebody really, really believes in me. And it's a life lesson for these guys. So my prayer for you goes like this. This week, Jesus teaches us that salvation is available to anyone, regardless of our background. He uses this story to show us that while some may reject, others are open. And others are willing to hear his message. And he honors those of us who will have great faith, who step out and trust him, because he's promised to bless his words. Let's pray. Lord, use us, guide us, direct us, help us. Lord, it's so easy for us to get caught up in circumstances and situations, and we forget, Lord, that, that you're in control. Lord, for those who may not have put their faith and trust in you, would you help them to understand that's what this season is all about? The fact that you loved each of us enough to come and die in our place. And Lord, for those of us who are believers, Lord, would you encourage us to have the kind of faith that steps out, that stands up, that is a voice to a world that needs Christ. And God, as we have opportunity, whether it's helping somebody in a checkout line or encouraging somebody at work or praying for a, for a neighbor, taking over something. Lord, would you use us to be a light and a testimony in a dark world? These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together and we're going to sing hymn number 26, 206.